Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, and here on the anniversary of both the infamous 9-11 and the Benghazi attack, no other reporter knows the Benghazi story as well as Steve Hayes. We're lucky to have him. Steve, what are you thinking about one year ago later? What's the part that surprises you that we either haven't done or still don't know? I think there are basically two big uh, unresolved issues in, in the Benghazi story. I mean, there are many, but the, the, the big ones are this. There is a huge hole in the narrative, uh, the public narrative of what happened in Benghazi, because we haven't had access to the survivors, uh, the CIA-affiliated personnel who were on the ground in Benghazi, some two dozen of them, who are the only ones who are in a position to share firsthand eyewitness accounts of what actually happened, what they were hearing, what the discussions with Washington were. And we simply haven't had that story told publicly, and really, for the most part, haven't had it told to the congressional oversight committees. So that's number one. I would say the, the second sort of big, uh, you know, unanswered question is what's happening in this investigation? Why haven't we rolled up these people who perpetrated the attack? We apparently know the names of 18 of them. We have eyes on, we're watching um, a half a dozen of these guys. We know where they are. We're following them. We're keeping tabs on them. And yet we do not have any arrests. We've had very little access to these, uh, to these people. And there's, there appears to be very little urgency to solve, to solve the, the, the crime, to, to come to any kind of a conclusion to either kill them or capture them. It's very unsatisfying, I think, for people who followed this story closely, and particularly for the, the families of uh, those who were killed. You know, Steve, there, uh, the classic science fiction tale is that the pod people have taken over and there's this one normal person left and he can't figure out why the people around him aren't reacting. And that's how I feel on the Benghazi story. I talk to my friends in the press. I talk to smart people who are Democrats and who are generally open-minded. And you mentioned Benghazi and a wall just drops. They won't even discuss the idea. And when you line up dead ambassador, uh, you know, uh, misstatements from the White House and go through it, it's so obviously scandalous. Why do you think it is that there are people who still look at it and go, meh, no big deal. You know, I think, particularly with the media, uh, here's what happened. In the immediate aftermath of the attacks, you had, of course, the Mitt Romney statement, and then the media focused not on what happened in Benghazi and the president's reaction or non-reaction to it, but they obsessed with Mitt Romney's statement about it. Uh, That's how they spent their time. And then the remainder of the discussion of the Benghazi attacks during the election during the presidential election um, took place in this political environment, and reporters, I think, thought this is a political story. First and foremost, this is a political story, and opted then not to pay it much attention. So for them to pay attention now, for these news organizations to take the time to invest the resources to really go back and give a good look at what happened in Benghazi and why we've had so many conflicting stories by the administration and and others, uh, would in effect be to acknowledge that they screwed it up the first time, that it wasn't, in fact, fundamentally a political story. It was a real substantive story. When the ambassador of the, uh, of the United States to Libya is killed, three others are killed along with him in a, a coordinated terrorist attack against U.S. interests in Benghazi that was part of a series of attacks perpetrated by al-Qaeda and its affiliates against U.S. interests around the region. That's a big 
big story. I just think they're loath to admit it because they didn't pay attention to it the first time around. But now we have two more bites at the apple. One is a specific bite that you had another bombing, uh, you know, one year later outside the Libyan foreign embassy. So that reopens the story for a fresh look, maybe for a journalist who feels a little left behind the first time. And then, of course, the second is President Obama's Syria policy. Libya was a place where the president was willing to go and bomb without congressional authority. That's clearly a hot topic today, Steve. Wouldn't that be the perfect door for a journalist to go back and look at the aftermath of the decision to bomb Libya, including, say, the horrifying events of the night of September 11th? Yeah, I I would think it would be. I mean, what's amazing is, you know, the administration, when it justified its its uh, non-consultation with Congress with respect to Libya, justifying why it didn't seek an authorization in that, the administration prepared a 32-page document that included uh, its legal reasoning as to why it didn't have to go. I mean, it might be interesting to go and, and compare that to the arguments the president's making now. Right. It would be interesting to go back, as we've discussed before, and compare the president's uh, speech uh, alerting the nation to what we were going to be doing in Libya in March uh, of 2011 and comparing that to what the president didn't do for two years in Syria, I think there are so many different angles um, on that story. And then beyond that, if you look at what's about to happen in Congress, people think the, the Benghazi story is over. It's absolutely not. There are literally going to be four hearings at four separate committees uh, on the House side over the next 10, 12 days focusing on Libya and trying to answer some unanswered questions, I think there are likely to be some very big developments that come out of those hearings. You know, up until now, I think the uh, uh, friends of the president have been doing a pretty good job of portraying uh, interest in Benghazi as purely interest in hurting President Barack Obama. I wonder, back to the Syria question, does this give people who want the truth about Benghazi a chance to reshape their investigation, to say, here are, you know, you, you act, and then there are consequences, and we can't even find out the details of how these consequences happen. If you care about what's right in Syria, you need to know what went wrong in Libya. Yeah, I mean, certainly that would be one way to, to ask the president to explain what he's doing. I think That might almost be giving the president too much credit on on the (laughs) issue of Syria because it assumes that he has some strategy or some plan. And I think virtually all of the evidence that we've seen over the past not only month but the past two and a half years suggests that the president has absolutely no plan and has absolutely no idea what he's doing with respect to Syria. And the evidence that he's being played by not only uh, Bashar al-Assad but by Vladimir Putin in that context uh, continues to pour in news today about more arms sales from Russia to Iran at precisely the time that uh, this would be most damaging to Barack Obama and to the United States. Vladimir Putin decides to lift the suspension on the sales of these certain arms to, to Iran. It has to be with the intent to embarrass the United States. You know, Steve, whenever someone in the older demographic asks me, what do kids mean when they say pwned? I point them to Vladimir Putin and Barack Obama. <laughs> it's right there. But I want to get back. I didn't ask the question very well. Let me try this again. I think that Americans who've been maybe dubious about the Benghazi investigation, maybe they bought the media spin that this was a purely political attack, and et cetera. I think because of the conversation about Syria, that the average American will be more receptive to the tough questions the Republicans are asking. I think once they kind of get through that filter, they'll realize, oh, my gosh, we don't know where the president was when this attack occurred. We don't know about right. orders given. We don't. Military assets were available. 
and we still don't know the answer to the basic question, did somebody call and ask for help? And I think, you know, six months ago, it was hard to get people to, to look at those questions credibly. I think today those questions will have more impact because of the Syria debate. I think you may be right. I mean, and, and, and it could further sort of accentuate the divide between, you know, average normal Americans living out in the country and the, the Washington press corps. I mean, right. it, it, it's very interesting to me to look at the polls. I mean, just look at the polls on what people think about Benghazi, whether they think it's important, whether they think it's a, a scandal. And usually it's, you know, 67% or somewhere in that sure. ballpark of people who think it's a scandal think it needs more investigating. And yet you have in Washington this sort of shoulder shrug, if not outright contempt for uh, people who are interested in, in getting answers to those questions. It is certainly the case. I mean, it's been very interesting as I travel around the country and, you know, talk to people in informal settings or do questions and answer sessions at speeches, you know, not just with conservative audiences. Invariably, uh, several of the questions I get relate to the Benghazi attacks. People want to know more about these attacks, and it's a tremendous misread of, sort of the mood of of the American people broadly, uh, for the Washington press corps to continue to believe that people just aren't interested. People are interested. Well, the reason they ask you, Steve, is you're one of only about nine reporters in the entire world that's covering the story. So they figure they got you, grabbed the opportunity. We certainly did. Thanks so much for being part of this podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this Weekly Standard podcast. Please, please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.